listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We're going to be looking at uh, tonight the reason that this Friday night is good. As we do, I want you to consider a couple of things. One, what is one of the most uh, trivial longings in your life? But if you had this thing, when I say trivial, I don't mean small, but I mean passing. But if I said you can have this, whatever it is, a possession, um, the pleasure of life, the pride of other people, what would you say that that thing is? You can have this. Maybe what you're your body, your heart in the moment would say, this is my greatest need. Just think about that for a moment. As you came in tonight, man, if I just had this, life would be complete. Now, I also want you to consider this. What is the greatest spiritual threat in your life? What's the greatest spiritual threat? And as we consider the answer to those two questions, how closely related are they? Because I know for me, I desire the applause and the approval of people. I desire the ease of life rather than trusting in God that he knows what's going on even though I can't see it in the moment. So as we sit on that for a minute, I want us to look at Good Friday, the final hours of Jesus' life. And then we're gonna spend a few moments confessing our sin to God. Confessing the fact that we think we need something more than Jesus. Confessing that we haven't often thought about the threat to our lives. So I'll be in John chapter 18. If you want to go there with me, you can. We'll be um, walking through John chapter 18 and uh, into chapter 19 this evening. Verse number 18, and we've gone through, we don't have, um, we don't have the capacity, the time to walk through every single part of Jesus, um, his trial and his crucifixion. But as we get to verse number 35, we see here he's already been before some of the political leaders. And we see here in verse number 35, notice it says, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So this is early on Friday morning. This is one of the first things that happens Friday morning. And the Jewish religious leaders are turning Jesus over to the state. Verse number 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of the world. So notice that Jesus is saying here in verse 36, I am of a different kingdom where my servants don't fight for power. We'll keep going, verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Like you don't want power, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Not only is Jesus representing a different kingdom, but he is a different king, not looking for power, but a servant king who lays down his life for his people. Notice how Pilate responds. Verse number 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate, Pilate doesn't understand this. And if we think back to Genesis chapter three, notice what the serpent says to Adam and Eve. What is truth? Did God really say? How can he know that this is sure? And then Pilate leaves the scene. Let's keep going. Look at verse number 40. So he leaves and he says, who would you rather have? He, he's asking the crowd this. 
And they say in verse number 40, they cried out again, not this man, Jesus, but Barabbas. They want Barabbas to be freed instead of Jesus. They say now, or the, the, the passage says now, Barabbas was a robber. He was actually a really bad robber. He, was, uh, he incited a lot of terrorism there uh, in Jerusalem. The name Barabbas is interesting. Bar means a son of, it's a really generic name. And Abbas, maybe you notice that you hear that there, of a father, Abba, father. So the name Barabbas literally means the son of a father, nothing special. The reason this is important is because Barabbas represents each and every one of us. He represents every single son or daughter who has a father. He here represents mankind. And here, what John is telling us, and I think as God is in control over all of human history, he's saying that humanity is part of the uprising against God. We are part of the rebellion against God. But here's the picture of the cross. The first thing I want us to see, and we're gonna see uh, three things quickly before we spend a few moments in confession. The first thing is the picture of the cross is that the innocent dies, that the guilty may go free. The innocent, Jesus Christ, he is put to death so that the guilty, me and you, Barabbas, may go free. Verse number, uh, sorry, chapter 19, we keep going. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Now the soldiers are here mocking, jeering, spitting on him, hitting him, flogging him, and their goal is to proclaim that Jesus is no king. But in reality, with every single hit to his face, to his body, with every single thorn that's pushed into his brow, what's being proclaimed is that Jesus is here for a different kingdom. Jesus is in fact king. So with every single slap to him, Jesus the true and better king is a king that gives his life for his people. He's a servant king, not one for his own power, but one here for his people. Notice in verse number five, what the people say. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Behold the man. Adam was created on the sixth day of creation. And here we have on this Good Friday, the sixth day of the week. And Pilate says, behold the man. But this man has come to rule and to reign in the way that humanity was created to, but we failed to do. When Pilate says, here's the man, here's what he's saying. Secondly, here is the king to restore God's kingdom. He is here. So while this picture should break our hearts, and even this week as I've gone over and over this passage, I'm walking around this room earlier today, and it just grieves me. The fact these people have Jesus right in front of him and their response to a good and gracious and perfect king. Behold this man. Verse number six, when the chief priests, the religious folks and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in this man. The people here, just like us, part of humanity, each and every day, we declare judgment on Jesus. We reject his kingship over our lives. We would rather crucify him. Look down at verse number 11. Jesus answered him, 
talking again here to Pilate. Notice Jesus' response to all this. You would have no authority over me at all unless it would be given you from above. Jesus here is saying, your power, everything that's happening right now is because of my plan. I'm in complete control of this whole situation. Verse number 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hours. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Notice here, this is the day of the preparation of Passover, which we can go back to Egypt and look at the historical basis of that. But here on the day when they were celebrating freedom from a bad king, they are putting to death a good king. That's the significance of him saying, this is why he must be put to death at Passover. Verse number 15, and we'll land here. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Notice what the chief priest, the most religious people say, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. These are the most religious people. They knew the truth. They had heard the good news. They had been to Sunday school their entire lives. When it came to Bible trivia, they would beat every single person in this room combined every single time. They had seen Jesus in the flesh. In fact, these guys had books of the Bible memorized, really religious people. And they say, he's not our king. The very same people who on Sunday were saying, Hosanna, we love you, Jesus, here are screaming, crucify him. And the reason for that is because when Jesus showed up, he didn't conquer the Romans. He didn't make all their wishes come true. He didn't make their lives any easier. And so they say, forget you. We'd be better off with you dead. Here's the last thing I want us to see is that living for your own glory is the greatest threat to living for the glory of a better king. Living for your own glory, whatever you think you need most right now, is the greatest threat to living for the glory of a better king. For your greatest need is to be fully known and fully loved by God. And the glory of the cross is that that is perfectly on display, which gives us the opportunity to confess our sin to God. You can be fully known and simultaneously fully loved. The crucifixion proves both of those true. So we're going to keep going. I want us to uh, spend a few moments continuing looking at this passage. If you would open back up to uh, the book of John, we'll be picking back up in John chapter 19 here. I want us to see five things from the second half of this passage. If we look at verse number, we're going to pick up in verse number 17. So if we look at 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So Pilate gives Jesus over to be crucified by the Romans. Verse, at the end of verse 16, it says, So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Now, we're familiar with crucifixion. We've seen pictures of it, but we need to understand here the brutality of crucifixion. It is essentially state-sponsored terrorism. That's what it was. The Romans would 
crucify those who were robbers, who were murderers, those who uh, didn't really need to go to jail. They just need to be put to death. It was uh, a means of execution that was developed, that it was, it was invented by the Persians in 800 BC, but then it was perfected, so to say, by the Romans. It was a terrible way to die. In fact, our word excruciating means from the cross, excruciating. Even Romans would not talk about the cross when they were in polite company. And in the Old Testament, we see that anyone who is put to death on a tree in this way, that person is cursed. So when we look here at the brutality of the cross, here's what we need to know, first of all, is that your sin is so bad that it requires the death of God. Your sin, my sin, is so bad that it requires the death of God. We think so many times that we're victims. And even when it comes to sin in our lives, we think, man, I'm just a victim of something. Friend, when it comes to sin, you are a villain. You are a villain. It's because of your sin and my sin that Jesus went to the cross. Notice here in verse number 19, we'll keep going. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So we see here, Pilate doesn't even know it, but he is setting up an evangelistic tract for the entire world to read. He puts it in three different languages here, proclaiming that the death and lordship of Jesus is for the world. Notice in verse number 21. So the chief priests, the religious folks, I can't get over that. Every time I read it, I'm just like, man, this is so ironic. This is wild. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. If you look back at this passage, three times Pilate says, I think this man is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. But here we see the expediency of the religious folks who want to deny the authority, the sacrifice, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing I want us to see, is that when given the chance, humanity murders our creator. When given the chance, humanity murders our creator. We want to live for our own glory. That is how we desire to operate. That is our status quo. We prefer our glory to his. Let's keep going. In verse number 28, we see this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. The one who turned water into wine as his very first miracle to represent this old religious system being swept away. The one who turned water into wine is now thirsty. And we're this, we're this wine, this old vinegar, this sponge full of sour wine that it talks about here. If you go to Israel, if you go to a lot of ancient uh, cities, you see this. If you were rich enough, you could actually use a restroom, uh, use like what was, looked like a toilet, 
and they had servants who would come along behind, and they, took, they had this sponge on the end that they would dip in this vinegar to make sure it was sanitary, and then they would make sure you were clean after you left the restroom. We're like, yeah, that's weird. It is. We're all like, man, I'm, I don't want to be rich anymore. You don't have to. But that's where they went and got this sponge from. So Jesus, the one who turned water into wine, now says, I thirst. And they, so they go to the latrine and they get this nasty sour wine and they say, here you go. This is what we think about you. Anybody here ever feel shortchanged by life? Maybe even feel shortchanged by God? Can I encourage you, friend? When you feel that way, could I encourage you to look to the cross? And we see here that the ultimate thirst quencher was put to death for you. And he doesn't just quench our, our thirst and say, here you go, run along, you're going to need a little bit more later. No, he quenches our thirst with the very best with his own life. Here's the third thing that I think we see here is that the cross is the means by which we have access to God. And all God's people said, amen. The cross is the means by which we have access to God. He alone is our source of life. Any other claim to a source of life is like going to a toilet bowl and saying, that's where life is. I want to choose that rather than a living water. The cross is our means of life. Verse number 30, look what it says here. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In other words, he's saying, it's paid in full. Does anybody else here hate bills? Not like people called the name bill, but like bills you get in the mail. I can't stand them. But imagine if instead of getting a bill in the mail, your mortgage company sent you a letter this week. I hate getting those letters. I'm like, I don't want to open this. You know what I mean? It went up. My escrow went up or down or whatever it is. They sent you a letter and it said, your mortgage is paid in full. Man, we would be celebrating. We would be singing. We would be dancing. We'd be raising our hands. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Man, praise him. What's for, where are you going to dinner? Somebody, did somebody mention? Or, does that hit home with us? That the cross means we don't owe anything else. Christianity is not about a big do, do this. Christianity is about a big done. It is finished. It is paid in full. Stop living for your own glory, what you can do, and look to the cross. The fourth thing that we see are, are four things that, the, that when he says it is finished, what it proves. The first is this, that the passion of Jesus is finished. When he cries out here, it's not a, a cry of agony. It's not a cry of defeat. It's a cry of triumph. He's been in complete control of this entire situation from before time was even spoken into existence. Secondly, not only is the passion of Jesus finished, but the work of the Father is finished. The work of the Father is finished. Jesus is revealing the full extent of God's love. And he is reconciling humanity, that's us, to himself by covering us with his blood. Thirdly, the plan of salvation is finished. The purpose of all humanity, of all creation it's for the glory of God to be on display. And the apex of human history is the cross. 
It's the cross. It's the only way that we can glorify God as his children, as believers. And then lastly, the striving of God's people is finished. Sit in that for a moment. Man, the striving of God's people is finished. We need to hear that. We need to repeat these words to ourselves. We need to say these words to each other. You don't have to do, do, do. The work has been done. Is anybody else here, do you ever get tired of trying to prove yourself? Do you ever get tired of trying to create your own identity? Is there ever this restless energy in you where you keep going and trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment? Jesus, who is the ultimate Passover lamb, has died in your place so that you can experience freedom from sin, shame, guilt, separation from God. Peter says this in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. This will be up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. But it says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Notice what he says here. Whose sake is it for? For your sake, for your faith, for your hope to be in God. If you look back here at verse number 37, right here at the end, and again, another scripture says, they will look on him who, whom they have pierced. Friend, tonight, this is why we have gathered, is so that you can take a look at the one whom you have pierced. It's for your sake. All through the book of John, we've seen it is so that you may believe, that you may believe. Church, behold the glory of the cross. Lastly, this is true love. This is true love. At his most glorious moment, Jesus became inglorious so we can share in his glory. When he lived a perfect life, he became sin for you and me so that we could share in his glory. The rebellion that began back in Genesis chapter three, it is now finished. It is finished. It is done. It's because of the cross. And when Adam and Eve, when they took the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, they took the fruit. And here we see Jesus Christ who was crushed like the fruit of a vine and whose blood is poured out that we celebrate, who covers us in his righteousness, in our sinfulness. He takes that and he gives us the crown of righteousness on our heads. He was placed upon a cruel tree represented in Genesis chapter three. He didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm good. Why did you take the, the, a bite of this good and evil? Why can't you just take the, no, he became evil for us so that we could be good. He says, I'm going to take all of your evil on myself. I'm taking the wrath of the Father on myself so that you can share my glory.
And tonight we celebrate that. His body was broken there on the tree so that we could be made whole. His blood was poured out so that we could take that and remember and experience grace and forgiveness. So I want to invite you to a station of communion. And this is for those who have put their faith in Jesus and those who say, man, I recognize my greatest threat, the greatest threat to my spiritual life. It's something that maybe I didn't even recognize, which was a pursuit of my own glory rather than his. Friend, let's repent of that tonight. Your greatest need is to be with Jesus, to be in fellowship with him, to be in fellowship with God the Father, to be indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, our greatest need is to be in fellowship with them. And Jesus makes that possible. So as we take the bread and we dip it in the juice, let us be reminded that he did that not because of how good we are, but in spite of our sinfulness and because of his goodness and righteousness. And then we give him glory for that. So family, I would invite you to join me even now.